emotion best describes your life? What emotion best describes you? I'll give you some options. Happiness, anger, frustration, depression, fear, emptiness, guilt, or bitterness. Which one of those best describes you? Which one of those is is kind of the person that you see in the mirror in the morning? Or is it, is it all of them? <laughs> Are you like an emotional time bomb in the morning before you get your coffee? You know, you, nobody knows what, what they're going to get in the morning. Or maybe the people at work or at school, they say, look, um, you know, if you go to the airport, just, just remember that they're probably going to ask you to downsize your luggage, your emotional baggage, just to a carry-on. You know, they, they can't handle all that. Or maybe those people at work at school will say to you, look, I'm just not tall enough to ride on your emotional roller coaster. You know, I, I just can't go there with you, you know. Maybe you've got some serious emotion happening in your life. All right, kind of a similar question. What governs your perspective on life? What, what are the rules that govern how you look at life? Do you look at things in the world from your perspective? Do you look at things from the world and going on in the world from the perspective of, of social media? Do you look at things happening in the world from the perspective of your family or your friends or, or some other way of life? Or do you look at things in the world through the eyes of what it means to know God? Do you look at things in the world, filtering them through, taking into account the truth and the promises and the comfort of the Bible? Do you, do you think about God as you look at things in the world? In a very real way, your emotions and your perspective kind of shape and define who you are. So, who are you? Who are you? Who, who is the person you see in the mirror in the morning? Who is the person that your family and friends deal with all day long? Who are you? Jesus was about to be arrested and, and brutally crucified. His friends, the disciples were about to have some serious emotional issues. Their emotions were going to be all over the place. And they were going to have a really hard time keeping perspective. So, Jesus is going to help them. He's going to help them with one phrase. Just, just one phrase. He's going to help them with one phrase. He's going to encourage them with one phrase. And this one phrase is going to be good for any difficulty that they face in life. You need a phrase like that? Have you, have you had some difficulties this week? I mean, one phrase that helps with every difficulty in life? That's a pretty amazing phrase. So, what did Jesus say? Let's find out. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 21. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain. I didn't see that one coming. You know, the problem for every difficulty in your life is birth pain. I have some moms that I think would disagree with that statement for sure. 
Now, before you start counting contractions, that's not the phrase that Jesus is giving. That's just part of the conversation. So let's continue to listen to what he says. He goes on, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. Why? Why does she no longer remember the anguish? Why does she no longer remember the pain? Jesus tells us, verse 21, because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. What a powerful and clear picture that Jesus gives us. Now, some of you fathers were not in the room when your children were born because they used to not let the dads in. But, but I was in the room for the birth of all four of my kids, all of, of the pain and all of the joy. And stuff was happening with my wife too. But, but you know, all of that, you know, right there in, in that moment. There, there was this extreme pain and this extreme joy all in the same moment. I love how Ray Stedman put it. What caused the mother's anguish? The baby. What causes her joy? The baby. Jesus is about to be arrested, brutally beaten, crucified, half-naked, out in public for everybody to see. He was going to die. He was going to be buried in a tomb. And his disciples were going to be full of anguish and pain as all of this plays out. But the anguish of the cross was going to turn to joy. Why? Because of what the cross accomplished. Paul said this to the folks at Rome, Romans 8, 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Jesus became an offering, a, a substitute for the just and right penalty of sin. What's sin? Well, I pulled together kind of several definitions and, and kind of came up with something that goes like this. Sin is not living up to or rebelling against the character and the commands of God. Somebody said it this way, it's like the attitude of our hearts we look up at God and we say, hey, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You, you don't get to make the rules for my life. I can decide what's right and what's wrong. I, I'm capable of handling what's right and what's wrong. But, but are we? I mean, in the, in the history of the world, has there ever been a time where humans were getting everything right? And maybe on a more personal level, has there ever been a time in the history of your life when you were getting everything right? See, part of what it means to be a Christian is that you understand the closer you get to Jesus, you realize the more you need him because you're not going to get everything right. But people who, who think that they're not that bad, you know, that they're pretty good people, that they, they really don't have this thing called sin in their life. They are on the highway to the danger zone. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
C.S. Lewis put it this way, when a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he's not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. And and then he really brings it clear to, to put it in practical terms. He says this, you can understand the nature of drunkenness when you're sober, not when you're drunk. Why is it that so many people think they don't sin? That they, they don't have any sin in their lives. Well, it usually kind of falls into one of two categories. Either A, they've never really been caught in their sin, never really had to be held accountable for their sin, or they're convinced that their sin is just not as bad as the sin that's out there in the world. The problem with both of those views is that God sees all and God knows all, and he has a complete different estimation on sin. Paul said God's estimation sounds like this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then just a a few chapters later in Romans 6, he says that the wages of sin is death. Not a slap on the wrist, not detention, not having your your wages garnished. No, the, the wages of sin, by definition, is everlasting, emotional, physical, spiritual death. The the kind of death that that is not something that just happens in a second and then disappears. So the greatest anguish that your soul can experience is being separated from God forever. There is no greater anguish for your soul than the experience of death forever. But there's good news. Jesus died to conquer sin and death, to conquer and deal with the problem of sin. He came for my sin. He came for your sin. He came to deal with the problem of sin once and for all. But somebody might say, well, what's the problem with sin? What's the big deal? Well, sin by definition is kind of a big deal because of what it does. See, the wages of sin, they create a one-way ticket away from God. The wages of sin, they condemn a person forever. There's, there's no release from jail. There's no parole. The wages of sin confirm that death is an eternal reality. It doesn't end. It keeps going and going and going. And so it's kind of like Jesus is saying to us, look, imagine the most horrible thing that's happened in your life. Imagine the most terrible thing that's happened in your life. Or, or just imagine the most terrible, horrible thing that you can imagine, and that will be mild compared to an eternity separated from God and lost. The picture of how Jesus describes being separated from God, the, the picture of how the Bible describes being separated from God is never good for you and for your soul. C.S. Lewis also said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Zero. You're wasting your time coming here today. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. But there's nothing more important if Christianity is true, than knowing Christ. You see, the, 
the message of Christianity over and over again is kind of saying the same thing. It's saying you need Jesus. Your, your greatest need is Jesus. Why? Because whether you feel it, whether you know it, whether you agree with it, whether you want to have anything to do with it, the very nature of our hearts is to say, hey, wait a minute. God, you don't get to make the rules in my life. I will decide what's right and what's wrong. That's what sin does. It, it, it makes us a rebel against our Creator, a, a rebel against all that's holy and good and happy and joyful and eternal. Sin's a big deal. See, it causes lots of trouble now, but it causes infinite horror forever. And, and here's the thing about it. You can't do anything about it. That's, that's the reality. You can't be smart enough. You can't be pretty enough. You can't be handsome enough. You can't be rich enough. You can't do the right thing enough. You can't pray the right thing enough. You can't know the right people. You cannot solve the problem of sin. But great news, God solved the problem of sin. God did something about the problem of sin. He sent his own son to die for sin, to absorb the penalty of sin. God sent Jesus to the cross as the perfect offering for sin. And only Jesus was the perfect offering. He, he's the only one that's qualified and certified because he's the only one that was perfect. He's the only one that could step in. No one else could do it. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So what does that have to do with you? Well, the cross is your bridge from death to life. Paul Saul said this to the Romans, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation no damnation, no separation. See, the cross provides a way for the last page of your life to not say he perished. She was destroyed. He was lost. You see, the cross provides the only way for the last page of your life to be rewritten, really all the pages of your life to be rewritten, so that the last page says, he is not condemned. She gets everlasting life. He gets everlasting love. She gets everlasting joy. Only the cross can do that. Only the power of Jesus in and through the cross can bring you joy. What was going to cause the disciples to have great pain? The cross. What was going to give the disciples great joy? The cross. And what kind of joy are we talking about? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 22, Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. There's the phrase. That, that's the one. So, so don't miss it. Get it. Write it down. Memorize it. Tattoo it on your brain. 
write it in permanent marker on the inside of your eyelids, whatever you have to do, get this phrase. This is the phrase for every difficulty in life. No one will take your joy away from you. Now, someone might be thinking, well, that sounds cute, preacher, but it's just not true. My joy gets taken away all the time. My wife takes my joy away. My husband takes my joy away. My kids take my joy away. Work takes my joy away. School takes my joy away. My team takes joy away. The state of our country takes my joy away. If that's true, then then here's kind of a, a heart question for you. It's, it's a hard one. But where is your joy? Where is your joy? Because if those things can take your joy away, your joy can't be in Jesus, right? Because Jesus just said that his joy can't be taken away. So if all those things take your joy away, then you, you're kind of making Jesus a liar a little bit. Because see, if anything in all those things can take your joy away, then it's possible that you don't actually have the joy of Christ. Maybe you don't actually know Jesus. Now again, we're talking about joy, not happiness, okay? They're two different things. Happiness is like a, a temporary attitude, a temporary condition. Happiness can change like the waves of the ocean. But joy, joy is like a mountain that never moves. And, and how do we know that? How, how do we know that joy is a mountain that never moves? Well, think about all the things that don't make you happy in life. I mean, everything doesn't always go right, right? I mean, life is hard. Yeah. Taxes increase. Economies flounder. Health issues pop up. There's trouble at work. There's trouble at school. Things change. People change. People disappoint us. People let us down. People abandon us. People die. So everything in life can't make us happy. Happiness can come and go. Joy is different, though. The joy found in Jesus is always there when everything else collapses. When everything falls away, nothing can touch the joy of Jesus. Nothing. On another day, Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 10, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. In other words, the worst thing that can happen in your life is not something that can happen to your family or your health or your job or your bank account or, or your country. They're, those are not the worst thing that can happen in your life. The worst thing that can happen in your life is what happens to your soul. The worst thing that can happen is being separated from God. And so what Jesus is saying is this. If you have your joy in me, that joy cannot be taken away. But if your ultimate and primary joy is not in Jesus, then anything and anybody can take your joy away at any time. It, it's the nature of, of not having Jesus. You can stream online, you can come here on campus, you can sing hymns and sing praise songs, you can listen to sermons, you can take the Lord's Supper, and it won't help if your joy is not in Jesus, if your primary, ultimate joy is not in Jesus. But if it is, 
If your joy is in the Jesus of the Bible, the one who loved you and gave himself up for you, the one who died on the cross to satisfy the penalty of sin, the one who desires to save you if he has not saved you, to rescue you if he has not rescued you, that Jesus, joy in him, cannot be taken away. Nothing. Fill in the blank. No person. No diagnosis, no news report, no letter, no phone call, no comment, no text message, nothing. No email, no Facebook post, no Instagram picture, nothing. And I know I'm hurting our feelings a little bit. No election. Listen, we, we need to be bold Americans. We need to be living out our faith as Christians in this country. We need to be stepping up and stepping in. We don't need to be reposting things on social media all day. We need to be active in our country for the glory of God and for the good of our fellow citizens. Whatever that looks like for you, go do it. So what we've been called to do. It's, it's why we're here as believers, and it's why God has graciously put us in this nation. But there is no uncertainty in the history of the world that will ever change the joy of Jesus. It won't. It can't. If I can give you any gift today, please hear that. There is absolutely nothing that can or ever will take away the joy of Jesus. It's his joy. Nobody touches it. Nobody removes its power. Nobody removes this impact because it's his and he gives it to you. And when he gives, it stays. It stays. True joy in Jesus cannot be taken away. But if we're honest, we don't always feel that way, do we? I mean, we don't. Gloria Furman is a, a wife and a mom. She said this, some mornings when I wake up, I can't see straight. I've been there. I yawn, stretch, shuffle into the kitchen for some coffee. By the time my bare feet hit the cold tiles, I'm fully awake and I can't see straight. Alas, today is today. How am I going to make it through today? A flood of thoughts stir in my mind and then my emotions chime in. A fog of unbelief and doubt descends. Ever been there? Ever felt that? And then she says this, if you feel like the Lord is not at hand, that he has forgotten about you, that he is apathetic to your plight, and that he does not have the power to save, then you have everything to be anxious about. I'm going to repeat that because it's pretty powerful. If you feel like the Lord is not at hand, like somewhere in your mind right now, you're thinking, oh, well, God's not in charge of this country. Or God's not in charge of this situation. If, if that's in your mind, if you feel like the Lord is not at hand, that he has forgotten about you, that he is apathetic to your plight, and that he does not have the power to save, then you have everything to be anxious about. She goes on to say, if, if you have this anxiety within you, and you feel like somebody is taking your faith away from you, you'll be tempted to ask a question, the most ridiculous question in the Bible. At least that's how she reports it. And that question came from the boat on the sea with Jesus and his friends in the middle of the storm when they said, Teacher, 
do you not care that we are perishing? Why is that a ridiculous question? I mean, what more does God have to do to convince you that he cares that you are perishing? He sent his only son for you. For you. How do we know that Jesus cares that we're perishing? How do we know that that we have this confidence in the promises that he has made? Think back to that mom. You know, when when the pain is over, when the labor's over, when the anguish is over, there's, there's nothing but joy. Nothing but joy. And, and listen to the reality of this. And, and you moms know this. <laughs> so yesterday I was, I was down helping uh, my parents. Um, I, I'm, I'm the IT guy for my family, so um, email and Kindles and everything had, had gone out of whack. So I'm down yesterday morning helping my mom and dad and and when I got ready to leave, my mom was so excited, I think, to have her Kindle back on that, um, you know, she came over and gave me a big hug. You know, told me, lo- told me she loved me, you know. But, but it's funny because in that moment, you know, I, I don't have to have that moment to know that my mom loves me, although it's, it's a great moment. You know, see, no matter how rebellious, wild, rude, mean, and awful that child grows up to be, nothing can take the joy from that mother. Nothing. Nothing. So no matter how mean or rude or awful or rebellious this world becomes, absolutely nothing can take the joy of Jesus away from a believer. Nothing. Nothing. About 2,000 years ago, The bloody, beaten Son of God said the most powerful three words in history. He said, it is finished. It is finished. And and with those words, what he was saying was what he had done cannot be undone. Can't be undone. You know what? There's a lot of things that can be undone in my life. (laughs) <laughs> I've had a couple of moments this week where I was just undone, right? My family can be undone. My job can be undone. My health can be undone. Almost everything in my life can be undone, but nothing about the cross can be undone. Nothing. Nothing about what Jesus has done can be undone. And that truth brings joy into the heart of a believer. That truth means that the believer, no matter what they face today, tomorrow, or next week, or five Tuesdays from now, or six months from now, the joy of knowing that what Jesus has accomplished for us can't be undone, that is real joy. So, question for your heart. Do you have that joy? Do you have that joy? If you don't, then then we plead with you. Nothing else is going to fix it. You can keep trying. You can search the whole whole world over. You can can buy the right things and go to the right places. You, You can 
vote and purchase and play and hobby and whatever you want to fill the gaps with. But nothing will bring you eternal joy that can't be undone but Jesus. But if you do have that joy, if that joy is part of your existence, shaping and defining your life, then please hear the words of your Redeemer. No one will take your joy away from you. No one will take your joy away.